Welcome to the Say the Word podcast, where we'll dig into words and language as tools for curiosity. I'm your host, Cindy Givinoli, and together we're going to explore how language is used in literature, memoir, poetry, and all kinds of fiction and nonfiction to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Welcome back. As I mentioned last week, we only have two more episodes left here in season one of the Say the Word podcast before we're going to take a short break. Season two will begin again on Saturday, July 3rd, and I'm already gathering titles and mapping out the season, and I would love to hear any suggestions that you have. Help me fill in my gaps so that I can make sure that the podcast covers the widest range of material possible. Also, be sure to sign up for my email list if you'd like to stay in touch during the break, and also if you'd like to get a reminder in your inbox when Season 2 drops. You can always find all the information on my website at cindygivinoli.com. So today we're talking about what feels like an uncanny passage from Kate Morton's novel, The Secret Keeper. And as always, I am excited to dive in. But first, I want to chat for a minute about being cool. So in the last week or two, several times I've either been a part of a conversation or party to a conversation where someone's mentioned something, a book or an activity or music or a movie that they really loved And someone else in the conversation was dismissive or eye-rolly or made some kind of snarky comment. In some cases, it was subtle. In others, it wasn't. Also, it bears mentioning that these were all full-grown adults. In one conversation, someone excitedly referenced a song that they liked, and another person rolled their eyes and said something along the lines of it being the most overplayed song, quote-unquote, ever, and that it was too pop music-y for them. In another, a Harry Potter reference was made, and someone else proudly stated that they would never read them, never had, and never would because they were already sick of the hype and refused to jump on the bandwagon. I could go on, but we've all been a part of these conversations. Hell, if you're anything like me, you might be able to think of a time that you've been the person doing the eye-rolling. Yikes. But... I invite you to ask yourself now if being what I have come to think of as too cool for school has ever really gotten you anything worth having, because it sure hasn't for me. I am by nature a very enthusiastic person. I like to get excited about things. I like to get excited about the things that I'm doing and the things that I love, as I'm sure you've picked up when I've discussed the books we've talked about here on the podcast. I also like to get excited about the things that other people are doing and love. Sometimes whatever that is is something that I love too, but it doesn't have to be. It can be something I know nothing about or even something I can't stand, but I'm always moved by other people's excitement. It inspires me to see people light up at a topic, whether it's Harry Potter or some pop song that's been played within an inch of its life. I mean, here's the thing. 
I know that disingenuous cheerleading rings false and more than a little patronizing. It can be Pollyanna-ish and, frankly, exhausting. But that's not what I'm talking about. Having some measure of genuine enthusiasm for things in your life is one way to extract maximum pleasure and joy from those things. This is a little common sense, right? Also, engaging in other people's enthusiasm and excitement is one way to share in it, to have a little extra fun and joy in your own life as well. I know that not everyone shares my kind of enthusiasm, and that's okay. You do you. But there's a difference between having a more serious nature or a mellower personality and being too cool for school. You don't have to hop up and down on one foot or resort to using the um, extraordinary number of exclamation points that some of us do on an average Tuesday to be genuinely enthusiastic. But what I do want to invite you to do is to watch out for dismissiveness, a feeling smug in some way because you've secretly decided that you're smarter or more cultured or more in the know, or of course, you know, just plain cooler than whoever it is that you're talking to. You're depriving yourself of joy and connection by doing this. And, you know, go deeper and ask yourself what it is that you are getting out of this. There is a reward of some sort tucked into all of our behaviors, the ones that serve us as well as the ones that don't. So homing in on what we're getting out of some behavior we engage in can tell us a lot about ourselves and empower us to make choices and changes where we want to. I would imagine that for many of us, this cool behavior acts as a sort of armor, that we use it to protect ourselves in some way. But armor doesn't just keep the hard stuff out, it keeps the good stuff out too. It deprives us of the connections that are available to us. I realize that all of us who, you know, survived high school were taught some cruel lessons about hierarchy and fitting in and the social currency of coolness. But hopefully we've moved on from high school at this point. And frankly, if coolness still factors into your social status, consider searching out a different circle of friends. I promise you will not be sorry. When a lack of enthusiasm turns towards snarkiness or not-so-subtle dismissiveness or derision, we've moved from neutral non-excitement into hurtfulness, and that's worth a second look. The actress Tabitha Brown is one of my favorite accounts to follow on Instagram, and she frequently says something that I love. She says, have a good day, but if you can't, don't you dare go messing up anybody else's. And I love that. So I will just wrap this section up by saying, love what you love and do it wholeheartedly and with as much enthusiasm as you want. I will find your excitement inspiring and contagious and you will brighten my life and countless others with your sunshine. Rave about your genre fiction or your top 40 pop song or the rom-com that made you cry last Friday night. I am there for it. And if you can't, that's fine. But don't you go eye-rolling at anybody else's, okay? So awesome. So I am going to go down a little enthusiasm path about our book today. Now, I'm not exactly sure. I don't remember how I initially got introduced to Kate Morton, but I have loved every single one of her novels. And I feel like she's an author who just gets better and better with every book that she writes. Her work is 
actually pretty hard to categorize. There's always a bit of a mystery involved and an element of the past, but I wouldn't call her books exactly mysteries or even historical fiction, really. There's always a modern plot twist, plot line twisted into the historic one, and there's usually a love story of some sort, but they're definitely not romances either. She just she has this gift for creating settings that feel almost like characters in and of themselves, and she captures the passage of time in a way that just constantly and consistently grips my heart. In this book, The Secret Keeper, most of the historic plot line, it centers around London during the Blitz in World War II. And our passage for today is part of that plot line. This selection is part of a letter that the character Vivian writes to her friend and mentor Katie. And I think you'll quite quickly see why I referred to it as uncanny earlier. So, from Kate Morton's novel, The Secret Keeper. Perhaps, too, my recent indisposition has made me more reckless than usual. After a week in the dark of my bedroom, German planes thrumming overhead, Henry sitting by my bedside of an evening clutching my hand and willing me to mend, it is quite something to be out again, drinking in the fresh air of London in the springtime. As a side note, don't you find it remarkable, Katie, that the whole world can be involved in this madness we call war, and all the while the flowers and the bees and the seasons keep on doing what they must, wise but never weary in their wait for humanity to come to its senses and remember the beauty of life? It is queer, but my love and longing for the world are always deepened by my absence from it. It's wondrous, don't you think, that a person can swing from despair to gleeful hunger, and that even during these dark days there is happiness to be found in the smallest things? Anyway, whatever the reason, he asked me to walk with him, and I said yes, and so we walked, and I let myself laugh. I laughed because he told me funny stories, and it was so easy and light. I realized how long it had been since I've enjoyed that most simple of pleasures, company and conversation on a sunny afternoon. I'm impatient for such pleasures, Katie. I'm a woman now, and I want certain things, things that I will not have. But it is human, is it not, to long for that from which we are barred? I just love the rhythm of her writing. So this passage just felt so timely, right? The world may not be at war, but here we are in the second springtime of a global pandemic, one marked by isolation and retreat from the larger world, and this passage just felt spot on when I read it. She says, It is quite something to be out again, drinking in the fresh air of London in springtime. And I don't know about you, but I feel that deeply right now. It does feel like quite something, right? Does anyone not feel some variation of just the energy spike of being out in the world right now, even if it's still truncated in some way? I mean, some of it has to do with the pandemic, but there's an element of this every springtime, isn't there? 
I lived in Maine for many years, and I happen to be someone who carries a deep and abiding love for the long, snowy Maine winters. But man, oh man, the energy and buzz of those first spring-like days where the sun was shining and the temperatures were well above freezing, it was absolutely irresistible. And spotting the first crocuses pushing up through the snow was generally marked by like 297 photos sent to every single person I knew. I'm in the greater Seattle area now, and the winters here aren't snowy, but they are extremely rainy. There are very few days in the entire winter that include any sign of the sun. So when the sun does return in the spring, it is all anyone wants to talk about. She says that it's remarkable that the whole world can be involved in this madness we call war, and that all the while the flowers and the bees and the seasons keep on doing what they must. And this speaks so strongly to... The comfort and assurance to be found in the cycles of the natural world. The springtime excitement I found in Maine or here in Washington didn't exist only among folks that were already interested or inclined to outdoor pursuits. It's across the board every single springtime. Whether a world war or a global pandemic or a personal hardship, there is solace and hope to be found in the noticing of these cycles the flowers and the bees and the seasons continuing to do what they must. I mean, we talked about this last week, right? When Terry Tempest Williams said that peace is the perspective found in patterns. This was part of what she was talking about, the rhythms of the natural world providing a steady backdrop to our human chaos. And there's a resilience to be found here, isn't there? I think of the way the plant life was able to return to the most radioactive and damaged places at Chernobyl within three years, or how wild poppies grow along so many of the now grass-covered and filled-in trenches of World War I's Western Front. These symbols of nature persisting even amid turmoil and strife and human suffering is somehow hopeful, isn't it? No matter What we seem to do or what else is happening in the world, life on a grander scale persists. On a somewhat lighter note, I am reminded of the title of a book created by the writer, cartoonist, and outdoor enthusiast Brendan Leonard. It's literally called Bears Don't Care About Your Problems. And here's just a tiny quote from his original blog post, which, of course, I will link in the show notes and does have some language. So if there are little ones around, um, earmuffs. But it says, bears are out there doing their shit, being in the moment like we all talk about wishing we did a better job of. Bears are not meditating and trying to find their center. They're trying to find food, keeping track of their kids, and occasionally destroying other species that fuck with them. Then they sleep. Bears do not have time for your shit. It's hilarious, right? So all of that to say that whether it's Vivian taking solace in the flowers and bees doing what they must while German planes overhead drop bombs, or us taking comfort in the indifference of bears, or the ocean, or the seasons as we muddle through our small but precious lives, or leaning into the resilience of plants thriving through radiation to find our own resilience— There is peace to be found in these patterns, and they are available to us in times of uncertainty. As we figure out how to appropriately cope with this version of pandemic life, rivers keep flowing, flowers keep blooming, and winter rolls into spring, rolls into summer, reminding us that somehow, you know, we keep rolling too. 
Now, Vivian says to Katie that her love and longing for the world are always deepened by her absence from it. It's wondrous, don't you think, that a person can swing from despair to gleeful hunger and that even during these dark days there is happiness to be found in the smallest things. She talks to the bees and flowers waiting for humanity to come to its senses and remember the beauty of life. And isn't this one of those life lessons that we all know intellectually, but we forget to practice in the hubbub of our just our daily lives? Isn't that one of the small silver linings of this pandemic for so many of us? Our abrupt forced withdrawal from the world filled many of us with a love and longing for what we'd taken for granted, didn't it? Recently, my husband and I met a good friend for a post-vaccine beach picnic, and it was one of the most glorious interactions that my deeply introverted heart has ever had. I'll definitely come back to the line again in just a minute, but it was exactly what I thought of when I read where Vivian says, I realized how long it has been since I've enjoyed that most simple of pleasures, company and conversation on a sunny afternoon. Our absence from the world has made us so very aware of the happiness to be found in the smallest things, the way that we can swing from lonely despair and feeling like this friggin' pandemic is never going to end to gleeful hunger for the things that we are slowly regaining some measure of access to. But even when there isn't a pandemic, it's, it's the delight that we can take in the small and the wondrous in our lives that offers us deep happiness and richness in our day-to-day. Not waiting for the fantastic or the life-shifting, but practicing real enjoyment in the mundane of our daily lives, practicing finding wonder and finding joy in those smallest things. Now, again, this is not about false optimism or a Pollyanna-ish disregard for the painful or the hard. Make sure you're clear on that. But it is about the practice of finding beauty and connection as a habit So that on a regular old day, we can live rich and joyful lives. And in times of struggle or grief or hardship, we can lean on it to get us through. So what does that look like? Well, you guessed it, attention and curiosity. It's noticing the morning light streaming across your kitchen or the shadows as they dance on the wall the return of birdsong after the quiet of winter, your child's face, brows, furrowed in concentration. Today, I noticed the softness of my bed before I rose and how amazing my first cup of coffee tasted. I heard my husband laugh out loud at something he was listening to in the other room, and I couldn't help but smile at the just resonance of it. Right now, in this very moment, my dog is sleeping upside down on his bed in my office, tongue lolling out and all four paws straight up in the air, and it is so damn cute, it makes me want to burst. There's a new leaf on my pothos plant, which is very exciting, and driving home from an appointment today, I stuck my arm out of the car window and let my hand ride the wind, and... A song came on the radio that reminded me of a childhood memory, and I suddenly felt all the decades of my life contract all at once. You know, we're surrounded by the happiness to be found in the smallest things. 
we're surrounded by the beauty of life, as she puts it. And all of it is waiting for us just to notice it, to look a little longer and grow more curious and be interested in the gifts it's offering us at any given moment on any regular day. Now, Vivian says in the second paragraph that she let herself laugh. I mean, oh, we could have an entire podcast just around that line alone, couldn't we? All the many ways we stop ourselves from laughing, obsessing over our to-do lists, over what we didn't get done, comparing the realities of our own lives to the perceptions we have of someone else's, trying to be cool or sophisticated or detached. I mean, what happens if we just let ourselves laugh? What if we let things be easy and light and we came to our days and our foibles with a bit of humor and some grace, with some laughter for our humanness? I know that I can easily get sucked into the myth that if it's not hard work, that if I'm not struggling, well, then I must not be giving something my all. But it's just that, a myth. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of times in our life that require us to show up for things that are uncomfortable, that push our perceptions of what we're capable of, that can feel hard, that are worthwhile challenges that help us grow. But in the midst of that, we can forget that not everything in our lives requires struggle and striving. Sometimes the path is easy because it's the right one. Sometimes it's easy because it is a beautiful use of our gifts and our talents and our experiences and we feel seen and valued and full of purpose. Sometimes easy and light is exactly right and it is okay to let ourselves laugh. Now, Coming back to that line where she says, I realized how long it has been since I've enjoyed that most simple of pleasures, company and conversation on a sunny afternoon. I am impatient for such pleasures, Katie. Now, like I said earlier, the very first image that popped into my head when I read that was how incredible it felt to have our first outing with a good friend to sit on the rocky beach eating sandwiches and catching up in real life on a sunny afternoon. Now, I, I am extremely introverted. I'm very outgoing, but very introverted. There is no end to my enjoyment of solitude and quiet. I cannot get enough. But that company and conversation on a sunny afternoon that we shared was a deep pleasure that I hardly have words for. Part of it was, of course, the quality of both the company and the conversation. And part of it also was, of course, that we've been barred from such things for so long. And as Vivian says here, it's human nature to long for that from which we are barred. I think we're all impatient for such days to return to our lives with regularity, right? To no longer be barred from hugging our loved ones or traveling or doing whatever it is that has been restricted in our lives for the past year. But until those bars to all that we've missed are lifted in their entirety, we aren't without a few things to continue to see us through. We can drill into our curiosity and we can use it to get interested in the ways we might let ourselves laugh more easily. 
We can use it to investigate where we can find happiness in the simplest of pleasures or notice the beauty of life. We can continue to lean on those cycles and rhythms of the flowers and the bees and the seasons and use them to root us and comfort us and remind us of our own resilience and that our troubles are fleeting in the view of mountains and oceans and, you know, bears. Now, as always, it's staying in that curiosity, continuing to explore and stay open and interested and away from the judgments and the, you know, quote unquote shoulds and the comparisons that is key to putting all of this into practice, to integrating it into our habits so that it's simply how we live, how we approach both our joy and our pain, our ease and our effort. Now, again, that excerpt is from Kate Morton's The Secret Keeper. Do yourself a favor and just treat yourself to reading or, you know, listening to one of her novels. Her language is just a decadence. As always, I will put the links to everything I've mentioned here today into the show notes at cindygivinoli.com backslash podcast. And while you're there, be sure to sign up to receive my updates right into your inbox and, you know, leave me a comment with a suggestion for next season or as always, a favorite line or quote that you loved and how it touched you. I only have two ready for next season, so I need 10 more, you guys. Lay them on me. Now, this week, Melissa B. sent me this one, and she said, here we go. I have been meaning to send you this quote from Toni Morrison's Beloved since you started your podcast. I have it framed and it sits on the vanity in my bathroom next to my toothbrush where I'll have to look at it every single day. Now this is the quote. Definitions belong to the definers, not the defined. I know there are a lot more famous quotes from this book, but since I read that for the first time, it has always reminded me to define my own life, to resist the urge to let others define me, whether that's the kind of work I'm allowed to do or the titles I agree to answer to. I've never felt called to be a wife or a mother, but I've been blessed with both a wonderful marriage and a really great kid. But deciding how I would define those roles and those relationships for myself has been key for me. This quote helps me stay true to myself and resist the urge to conform to how society wants to define me. Oh man, Melissa, that is so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. Now, next week, um, I haven't actually decided which thing I'm going to use, so it's going to be a big mystery and surprise. So until then, be sure to stay curious out there. That's it for this episode of the Say the Word podcast, where we explore how language is used in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Be sure to share and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And I would so appreciate it if you would go ahead and leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Cindy Givinoli, and I'll see you next week on Say the Word.